From Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal, and this is a VinePair podcast conversation. We're bringing you these episodes in between our regular podcasts so that we can explore a range of issues and stories in the drinks world. Today, I'm speaking with Vice President of Operations, Jennifer Yingling, and Chief Administrative Officer, Wendy Yingling, who are sixth-generation leaders of DG Yingling & Son, uh, one of America's, fair to say, most iconic breweries. How are the two of you doing today? Great. Doing well. Thank you. Wonderful. So let's start with just some backstory. Um, Some of our listeners who are uh, on the East Coast will be intimately familiar with Yingling. Others maybe have heard of it, but never tried it uh, out here West. So can you give just a little bit of a history of the brewery um, and kind of, you know, the story from beginning to the modern day in, uh, you know, not too many minutes? Yeah, I can start on that. I can kind of lay the foundation. And you know, we were America's oldest brewery. We were founded in 1829 by our great-great-great-grandfather who immigrated to this country from Württemberg, Germany. Um, he landed on the East Coast and made his way into central Pennsylvania, where we're based today in Pottsville, PA. Um, and there were lots of, lots of anthracite coal mining during those days. So there were lots of thirsty miners out there for sure. So he, um, mm-hmm. he established his brewery in Pottsville and he actually came from a brewing family over in Germany. And we've since learned in recent years that um, he was one of the youngest of, of many children and, and his father was also a brewer. So, you know, he really didn't have much, much chance at running the family brewery in Germany. So he came to this country and you know, six generations later, 192 years later, here we are today. Wow. Yeah. As Jennifer mentioned, we were founded in 1829. So we have been operating out of central Pennsylvania for 192 years. We're very excited and proud that we're still in our fifth and sixth generation, which is pretty remarkable for any business. And um, to be recognized as America's oldest brewery is pretty astounding and something we take very seriously. So Jennifer and I are two of the four daughters in the sixth generation, and we work side by side in the business with our dad. Um, And it's pretty significant in that it's the first time our family business will transition from father to daughters, because historically Mm -hmm. it's passed from father to son. So that's kind of exciting for us to be able to be a part of it. We've grown from one small brewery in the town of Pottsville, Pennsylvania. We now have another brewery in Pennsylvania right across town, and we have a third facility in Tampa, Florida. So we primarily distribute along the East Coast. We're in 22 states now. So unfortunately, we're not on the West Coast yet. So I don't know if you've ever had the chance to try our beers, but hopefully someday. Oh yeah, I definitely have. I uh, I lived in New York for a while and spent some time in Pennsylvania, so <laughs> it's hard hard to avoid when you're in that part of the of the country for sure. I have to ask a question about this history too. So obviously, your the history of the brewery spans American Prohibition. What what did the brewery do during that period of time? Yeah, we were that was the third generation of our family who was controlling the brewery at that time. Our great grandfather Frank Yingling, and you know we've certainly gone through a long history of perseverance, which includes surviving prohibition. And, um, and, and Frank was able to diversify. Um, I think he was one of the, the, one of the, as part of the, the six generations that have owned the brewery had an idea of how to be entrepreneurial. And um, we weren't able to make beer during that time, but he was able to make near beer, which was one mm-hmm. half percent alcohol and he was able to keep our employees employed and um, and then he also diversified it and built a a dairy across the street from our historic brewery which still stands today and um, and he made ice cream and milk products so so many ways in which he was able to diversify keep the company going and yet still remain in the beer industry absolutely and you know you mentioned that you're you're both part of the sixth generation 
has there ever been a point or, or points in the history where it maybe wasn't going to be a family business anymore? I mean, I, 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 you know, that's always challenging. You mentioned for any business and certainly in beverage alcohol, you know, there are a lot of pressures and, and many, many, whether they're breweries, wineries, et cetera, have found themselves, you know, for whatever set of reasons, no longer family businesses. Has that ever come close to being the case for, for Yingling? You know, I think building off what Jen said, we were able to survive prohibition in the 1920s. And coming off of that, I think breweries started to to really rebound and do well. But I would say our leanest years were probably in the 50s, 60s and early 70s when our grandfather and his brother were running the company. And, you know, we know that they were close to probably closing their doors at that time. And fortunately mm. for us, they never you know, gave up and they just hung in there. And I think that's a testament to the perseverance of our family and our company. Um, but those are probably the leanest times where, you know, it was really a day by day survival until the mid 80s when our dad bought the business from his father and really turned the brands around and reinvented uh, the brand Yingling and developed Lager. Yeah. So to talk briefly about that, as you mentioned, obviously, many of our listeners, uh, you know, in the 22 states that you're currently available in may be very, very familiar, but um, some of them will not be. So so obviously, the Amber is the the flagship product at this point. But it how, can you talk a little bit about kind of how it came to be and, and you know, where it still sits um, in the line of beers that you make? Yeah, I can talk to that. I, it was shortly after our dad purchased the brewery from his father in 1985. And and two years later was kind of the beginning of the whole craft, initial craft beer revolution when Jim Cook and, and Boston Beer were starting to come on the scene. And it just felt like consumers at that time were, were looking for a beer that had more character, a better flavor profile, um, and just was differentiated from the mainstream industrial produced produced beers. And um, and our dad, he was, you know, he was an entrepreneur, you know, as well. And um you know, really took a big risk in coming out with our lager brand, our traditional amber lager beer, and it's become our flagship today. And he he kind of made the the packaging a bit more upscale, um, introduced it in a green bottle that that, that gave the brand more of an an upscale image, maybe an imported style image. Um, it, it has that amber color to it, it has a bit of a sweeter flavor profile. Um, you know, than most mainstream beers. And, you know, we just, we just caught fire. It started out in, in State College, Pennsylvania, uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, and then just really got to the point where we were, we were only operating out of our, what we refer to as our historic brewery um, from the 1800s. And, you know, demand just completely outstripped the capacity that we had. So by the, by the early Late 80s, 1990s, we were, my dad was at a crossroads. He, he knew he needed more capacity. He knew he needed to make more beer. He had consumers and wholesalers who were becoming frustrated because they couldn't obtain our product. Um, and that's when he um, he undertook a pretty pretty major expansion. Gotcha. And is that when the, when the brewery facility in uh, Florida also came online or was that later? Yeah. So the first thing he did was, was he made the decision to build a second brewery in, in Pottsville. And um, okay. certainly you can't you can't build a brewery overnight. So it was going to be at least two years until we got shovel in the ground and then had beer coming off the off the, the packaging line. So so to kind of cover that gap there in two years, he was made aware of the last uh, operating straw brewery in, in Tampa, Florida. Mm -hmm. um, so he went down there. He met with the owner, Bill Henry, and struck a deal. And we were able to start producing our brands in Tampa, Florida, shipping them up into our you know, our mid-Atlantic market to our wholesalers who were 
you know, if we're being rationed out of our, our Pottsville brewery, and and that um, that really covered the gap there until we were able to get our what we refer to as our new Mill Creek brewery online. Gotcha. And just building on what Jen said, so Lager is our flagship brand. It's it's over 70, 75% of our business. But since the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, we've built out our core brand portfolio. So people that know Yingling certainly know it for lager. And then we've also got this portfolio of core brands that includes light lager. It includes our black and tan. And then a more recent introduction, our golden pilsner. And then over the last several years, we've been able to sort of expand our portfolio and reach new drinkers. So we've introduced things like Flight, which is an upscale light beer that's low-cal and low-carb. And we've done some really fun things just to kind of appeal to new drinkers with a collaboration for Hershey's Chocolate Porter. And then most recently this year, we introduced a new um, fruit-flavored beer called Raging Eagle Mango. So we've really built our portfolio out over the years, but it all started with lager, and that is by far the brand that, you know, turns the lights on here. So I actually wanted to touch on some of those uh, newer uh, beers that you mentioned. And and I want to start with um, actually the the flight, um, because I think there's a, a, an area that we've talked about a lot on the podcast is this sort of nexus of, you know, low-cal, low-carb um, beer and, and other beverage alcohol products. And and I'm wondering if you could, uh, either or both of you could speak to kind of what the impetus behind um, creating that was. And then do you find that that beer's audience are people who are also uh, amber lager drinkers, or is it a different segment of the drinking population entirely? I can, I can start and just talk about kind of the, the genesis of, of the flight by Yingling. And, and I think most importantly, as we were looking to our consumers um, to see where they were trending and, and what they were looking for in their beer. And we've, you know, we noticed that the beer consumers are becoming more increasingly focused on, on the stats. And by the stats, I mean the, the carbs and the calories. And, you know, so we were looking, we saw this opportunity in upscale refreshment category to deliver what consumers want. And, um, you know, they have active lifestyles and we were able to produce a brand that, that has a lower carb, lower calorie, while also delivering on, a, on an even better taste level. Very cool. Yeah, and I was just going to say it was kind of a neat um, project for us to be a part of as the next generation and as female drinkers looking for something different out of our products. And like Jen said, we like I personally like to drink something that's lower calorie, low carb. So we were able to hit those stats with 95 calories, 2.6 grams of carbs. It's just a really refreshing, better tasting light beer to deliver a better experience. And so we sort of dubbed it the next generation of light beer, which is a cool play on our family legacy and our impact on, you know, the development of the brand. Absolutely. And then maybe slightly on the other end of the spectrum with the uh, the Hershey's Chocolate Porter. I mean, that obviously makes <laughs> natural sense as a as a collaboration with another obviously iconic central Pennsylvania producer. I, I'm actually kind of surprised this didn't happen before, but is it just that, that you know, the, the era of collaborations is relatively new in beer or like kind of what took so long? Um, yeah, it's interesting you say that because I think if you look at both of the, our two companies, Yingling and, and, and Hershey, we have over 300 years of, of experience between the two of us and we're only 45 miles apart. So it was it was a great first year when we rolled out in draft only, um, only in our 13, what we call our northern states. Um, and it, it was so successful. We had consumers clamoring for more. So so in 2020, we also came out with bottles, both six pack and 12 pack, as, as well as draft beers. So, um, you know, we found that it's it's been a great collaboration. Um, they've been a great partner. Um, you know, we're always looking to, to raise the bar, if you like. And, um, you know, 
offer consumers something a little bit different in an in and out product or a seasonal type product that, uh, that they're looking for. And then with the with the Raging Eagle sort of, uh, you know, here you're talking about, you know, kind of a fruit beer. I- I'm curious to sort of similar to flight, you know, was was the idea that, hey, there's a drinker out there that, you know, maybe likes Yingling, but but is oh, maybe that's not their or I should say likes, you know, the amber lager, but maybe that's not their preferred style of beer most of the time. Or like kind of how again, how did that, you know, come to be in, in you know, kind of your sort of initial foray into this category? I would say we've been seeing it with consumer trends over the years. And it's interesting. We get so many people that come visit us at the brewery. So they get to experience America's oldest brewery, tour the caves. And when people come and visit us, we spend a lot of time talking with consumers, understanding what they like about our brands and where consumer trends are going. And so we get a lot of great feedback. And that's sort of what tailored our decision to make the flight and then do some of these more innovative products like Hershey Chocolate Porter and Raging Eagle. So a lot of it is based on what we hear from our fans because we've got very very loyal consumers that have been following our brands all these years and we're you know we're very appreciative of that and we saw consumers today um, craving fun and flavorful styles so our raging eagle just to give you a little bit of background on the beer itself it's a it's a pilsner beer and it's brewed with our classic cascade and cluster hops and we also use natural mango flavor to give you that bold taste it comes in at six percent abv um, we do have it available across our 22 state footprint in both 12 ounce and and 24 ounce cans. So it's um you know folks can always go on our on our website and www.yingling.com and visit the link find our beer to find it at uh, at places close to them. Awesome. And I'm wondering you know just kind of broadly when it comes to innovation. I mean I feel like you know I I certainly don't I'm not the sixth generation uh, running a family business so so I don't have any idea for kind of what that legacy is like but is it is it at all challenging or do do some of the the diehards have take issue with the sort of decision to branch out or they you know or do they recognize that you know beer is an evolving industry and that you know to make it to a seventh eighth ninth whatever generation you know the brewery itself has to not totally change obviously but has to remain um you know nimble and and uh i guess you know stay relevant in the variety of ways is there any pushback against innovation It's interesting. We are a company that is very steeped in tradition, as I'm sure any hundred-year-old business would be, especially almost 200 years. And I think there's definitely an appreciation from everyone within the organization and in the employee family that, you know, we are built on making traditional beers, but we also recognize in order to stay relevant and survive for another hundred years, you have to be able to adapt and innovate. So for us, I think the key is finding the right balance of, you know, what is our core um, competencies as a brewer? And then also what is new and exciting to keep us relevant to consumers for generations to come? And I'm wondering, you know, on this topic of kind of staying you know, relevant to consumers and, and on sort of what's to come, you mentioned at the outset that currently you're in 22 states. Are there plans to expand? I mean, I think, you know, the obviously expanding uh, distribution, expanding production is challenging. It's a big country. But um, at the same time, I'm sure you have fans in the western half of the United States, people who are, you know, uh, from the East Coast and moved west or just have tried the beers and want them. You know, how do you look at that possible expansion? And is that something that's in the works? It's funny. We talk about we talk about our yingling smugglers all the time, folks who have visited <laughs> Yeah, folks who have visited any one of, you know, maybe one of our breweries or one of the twenty two states that we're currently in and they're loading the back of their car up with uh, with cases of beer and taking it to 
the states that, that don't have our products available. So, so what we've done is last September, we announced a joint venture with, with Molson Coors Beverage Company to, to take our brands to these clamoring fans further west. And, and what this is, is it's an extension of our existing brewery. And we have these three iconic families, the Molson family, the Coors family, and of course, our six generations of Yingling family, where we're able to partner with them. And, um, you know, next later this year, we'll be able to uh, announce the launch of, of brands in, in the state of Texas. And and eventually, presumably, other states as well, or or is that uh, still under wraps? Yeah, we've always been slow and methodical in our in our growth and our business model approach. So I think you know, for us, we're going to start off with Texas, start off slow. We still have three New England states um, within our Yingling territory footprint that we anticipate opening at at some point too. So so I think that the the start of it is is going to be the state of Texas later this year. I think Jennifer always says it really well. It took us 190 years to get into 22 states. So we're not in any rush to be a national Mm. company. But as she mentioned, this partnership gives us a great opportunity to be able to expand and to tap into their world-class brewing capabilities and to continue to drive the strategy and the discipline behind our brands. And I'm curious, you know, maybe a little more close to home, you know, uh, you mentioned you're, you're, you know, you're in a lot of states, but I, I would imagine in, in a whole host of ways, you know, Pennsylvania is your most important state. It's where the most majority of the brewing happens. It's where, you know, from what I understand, sometimes, you know, uh, lager is synonymous with Yingling. What is the what is your relationship like with the sort of the the communities in in Pennsylvania and you know especially maybe over the last year when um, you know a, probably a big part of that which is visiting the brewery may have been more challenging. Like how have you stayed connected to to fans not just in Pennsylvania but but all over? Yeah, I can start and give you a little bit of a high level perspective on that. Certainly Pennsylvania, it's our home state, our home market, home to two of our breweries. And, um, you know, it's where we've got our start. So we have our highest share market there. And uh, certainly this past year has been challenging for everybody, the beer industry included. Um, So we've done a lot um, with HARP in Pennsylvania, which is Hospitality Assistance Response Program. Cheers PA, um, because we partnered with Aaron Nola, who is a Philadelphia Phillies pitcher. And um, we've done a lot with him to help raise funds and and donations for the wait staff and, and and bar employees who have been so heavily impacted this past year because of COVID and the on-premise and bar restaurant shutdown. And we did something very similar. So our, we consider Tampa to be our second home just because it's our, you know, one of our largest production facilities now that we've been down there for so long. And we're doing a tremendous amount of investment in the Tampa market and building out our campus down there to create more of a brewery destination with a restaurant and a pilot system and just a yard for entertainment and activities so people will be able to come to visit us in Florida and experience America's oldest brewery. But we've invested a lot in that market over the last several years just to make it, you know, our second home. And when COVID hit last year, we put a lot of resources into the state of Pennsylvania. But similarly, we did a, a program for the Florida Restaurant Association down there to try and support some of the bartenders and wait staff and the people that are part of our industry that have been struggling through everything. Gotcha. And one last question for the two of you. You know, we talked a little bit about some of the newer products that that you've brought to market. Is there anything else that uh, we should be on the lookout for going forward? Um, I, you know, whether it's uh, new beer styles or just sort of a, a, a continuing evolving approach or or anything like that that, uh, that that we can keep an eye on. 
Yeah, we talked about our, our innovations in the Flight by Yingling, Raging Eagle, uh, our collaboration with Hershey Chocolate Porter. What we have going for the summer is um, we have our lager flagship brand available in, um, in both 12-ounce and 24-ounce camouflage cans. So this week, we're starting our, our Stars and Stripes program, which is a partnership with Team Red, White, and Blow and Blue, which is a, um, a partnership with this military veteran organization. So we have these new cans. They're emblazoned with a very unique desert camouflage print and the Team RWB logo. And, and it's, you know, it's our, part of our continued effort to pay tribute to the men and women who have served our country. Well, I thank you, Jennifer and Wendy, so much. I, I feel like I, I have to... Um... Just also ask if there's anything else that we might have missed, because I feel like there's you know so much in such a historic brewery and obviously only a short amount of time. But if is there anything else, whether it's about the the brewery or, or anything else that um, that people should know about? We'll be posting updates all summer to build on what Jennifer said about our Stars and Stripes program. So there'll be a lot of activation coming this summer and a lot of things to continue to promote our brand. So it's nice to see things opening up again and uh, people can get out there and enjoy a cold beer again. Yeah, <laughs> I have yet to have my first uh, draft beer. Uh, it's been over a year now and uh, I'm very <laughs> much looking forward to the day. So it'll be, yeah. uh, it'll be a very, very happy day. Not the cans and bottles don't do okay, but uh, nothing quite like a draft beer. There's something about a fresh draft beer. I agree with Absolutely. you. Excellent. Well, Jennifer, Wendy, thank you so much for your time. A pleasure to hear about uh, America's oldest brewery and, and uh, a tremendous institution, um, not just in Pennsylvania, but uh, in, on the East Coast. And I uh, look forward to seeing what you all are up to as you near almost 200 years. That'll be a big celebration, I imagine. <laughs> Very soon, we hope. Yeah, planning something for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.